So you listen to Faith Over Breakfast, and this is just a short rambling from Pastor Eric about um, where he's at, what he's thinking, what was on his mind, what's on my mind at the moment. So hope you enjoy, and I hope it's uplifting. So I thought I'd give a little bit of an attempt to do a podcast by myself. Andy is on vacation, he informed me, and so I thought I'd just give you a little picture into, or a deep dive into the brain of a pastor, um, kind of where I'm at right now. It's uh, good to talk to all of you. Um, I just want to talk about maybe my experience a little bit of COVID-19 and what it's been like, um, in particular at the village. I think one of the things that I started wrestling with early on as we began to be sequestered was looking at my own theology, in particular a thing that I call theology of place. And what I mean by that is that I do believe, though I do believe that there is something um, powerful about the hospitality of the space in which you worship in and what it brings to light, um, the way it disciples us. And so there are so many elements within the village liturgy that, that shape who we are and the village practice. And so when you come on Sunday and you experience the eating together and the sitting around tables and the, the, the engaging with children and the sitting in couches uh, and then you engage the experience of, of creative um, uh, a creative expression on the walls and in the way that things are decorated and even in the efforts to reinvent things that are already um, pretty standardized from songs we sing to how we process the sermons with our kids to the way we do um, our uh, kid ministries, all those kinds of things, they shape an identity for a community. And this is actually true for any community. But for the village, we have spent so much time and so much theological work and philosophical work on how we go about doing these things and why we do those things. Um, That when the, that is pulled away from us and we are now at home, we're, we're invited to practice all that we have learned, but also there's a loss of having a recentering happen to us. Um, the fact that we all eat together reminds us of the essential part of, of eating and what it does to relationship and, and reminds us that we need to do this um, at home with and with our friends, that there's something powerful about the dinner table and about eating together, um, and that there is this this reflection that, of of a connection to the the table, the communion table, the 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 bread broken and the the wine, the blood poured out for us. There's uh, this connection because you have to eat to live. And Jesus takes these very simple things, bread and wine, and says, you you have to eat of me and drink of me if you're going to live. And so there's this reminder every time we eat that 
that that is present. Without Christ, there is no life. And in the immediate, without sustenance, there is no life that, and, and health. So that's a big part of what we do. And I think there's something really powerful about, um, you know, going to church at, at you know, 10 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the evening and then not leaving till, you know, 1, not leaving till one thirty, not leaving till, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock, you know, quarter to 9, sometimes 9.30, depending on, you know, vacation and, and school schedules and all those kinds of things. There's this sustained amount of time um, where you've engaged with your community, you, you've you've listened to the word of God being spoken over you, you've read corporate prayers together, you've confessed together, you've eaten together, you've prayed over each other, you've played together, um, you have you've experienced new music and seen uh, the different kinds of things that are expressed. Um, artistically and and it just creates this space of connectedness to Jesus I mean you get to see the body function and so in the sequestered moment that that was a real uh, kind of harsh adjustment for me Um, and in particular as we were trying to play catch up on on Sundays with all of the um, technology it it was really stressful because there wasn't any any like tangible support it was just myself and and mark and sometimes my wife trying to figure out technology trying to get it to work having people text us and you know just all figuring that out as a small church was difficult um and so as you're in sequester though and as a pastor um the other thing that i have noticed that's been difficult for me and and I don't know if it's it may be not this may be a small church thing um and or a medium sized church thing is that you know on a Sunday and particularly we went to two services I'm in both services um I can I can see and people and I can and I can touch base with a lot more people hear how they're doing get a sense of what's going on to the when their life make sure that they're connected to places listen um i and and that's um not present and so it requires me to um to do a lot more of that during the week it also requires me to touch base with people leaders who are doing that um and and just kind of try to get uh, a sense of what's happening with my community praying over my community um, encouraging my uh, elders to do s- those things. So what's what's been interesting to me is I have spent time with God and really reflected on this time, you know, and I, and I talk to people at the village. I feel like there's, on one hand, this real strong sense in, in many families and in many people's lives where there's been a slowing down and a reconnecting to one another and maybe even adding some disciplines in their life that didn't happen before. Um, and at the same time, there's this, this anxiety of the disease and there's this anxiety of losing your job and what the financial world is going to look like over the next two to three years because of COVID. And, 
Um, and that's, that's stressful. Um, you know, there's, this may seem relatively graphic and I, I mentioned this on Wednesday, I think in our meditation online, but I, I just keep pondering this as a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's what God is inviting us into, but when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, their parents had not been following the law. So they hadn't circumcised their males. And there's a, there's a moment in, in Joshua, the book of Joshua, where the males are all circumcised and you can only imagine how painful that had to be. And it says in the scripture that that's where they, they rested there until people recovered basically. And who knows how long that is. Um, but, I do feel like in some ways COVID-19 is a circumcision of God's people. Um, We are in a place where God has said, it's time to stand still. It's time to rely on me. It's time to not hold on to your, the things that you think make you who you are. Um, It's time to recenter yourself on me. And and that's going to take some recovery. And I'm going to force that recovery on you. Um, and who knows how long that, that will be, you know, what, what most pastors, what restaurants, churches, everybody right now is struggling with how you reopen, um, with a disease that we don't know a lot about still and how it's passed. Um, we don't even really have a sense of really how, uh, dangerous it is because we don't have great statistics on actual cases um and so our 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 models are bad our percentages are bad um and our information is just incomplete Uh, and and so we're all sort of flying in the dark even the government is flying in the dark you know we there's a lot of criticism that goes right and left um but honestly everybody is trying to fly a plane without with you know a blinder on and no um computer help so it's uh it's, it's difficult. Um, and so even that, you know, as a, as a elder of the village as, as with the other elders and even in conversation with the leaders and you begin to think about, well, what does it look like for this community that is not built to social distance and any level, how does it come back together and what's the safe thing to do and what's the wise thing to do? And all of a sudden, you know, you're bombarded by hundreds of ideas and anxieties and, uh, you know, there's, and, and you have to have a plan. You're going to have to come up with a plan. You're going to have to act. You're going to have to listen to the Holy spirit. Um, and, and good processes like rushing things is not a good idea. Um, so really trying to figure out how to brainstorm, how to wait on Jesus, uh, and how to move forward that way is important. I, I think one of the big anxieties, obviously, that our whole world has um, is the economic impact of all of this and and the fallout. And uh, I think as followers of Jesus, I think maybe we had our heads in the sand and we weren't preparing as well as we could to take care of our neighbors um, in the last eight weeks. That's not true for everybody, but I do think that... Um, it, it would be, I think it's important for all of us to begin to think about how we can help from, you know, buy, buy an extra roll now of toilet paper and be ready to give it to somebody who needs it. 
if you have extra money, if you're not spending your stimulus check, put it in the savings account um, and give it to people who need it when the time comes. Ask God to reveal those people. If you have extra money, save it. Prepare to help people. Um, if you got an extra car, make sure it's fixed up so you can loan it to somebody. Uh, you know, if you got a spare room, start cleaning it and preparing to move somebody into your home if that need be. Um, stock up on dried foods so that you can give them away, not hoard them. Um, that you can be prepared to share with people who don't have. Uh, this this is kind of the mindset. You know, here's your opportunity. I know you got a social distance, but maybe you don't. Maybe you don't know your neighbors very well. Um, and maybe you're not going to be able to get to know them very well, but at least, you know, when you see them, you know, say good, good morning when you're out on a walk, say, Hey, how you doing? Um, from across the, the road, however, begin to, to, to make it, um, obvious that you are available. You know, if you want to really step out, you know, get a little three by five card, put your address and your cell number on it and, you know, get 30, 40 of them and put a little note that said, hey, if you need anything, uh, give me a call. I'm I'm here to help and put it in the mailbox of your neighbors. Um, there, there are ways for us to do that. Um, but I think, you know, there is this theme over and over again within the New Testament where, where God asks his people to wait. You know, he asks the 120 disciples followers to wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. He tells Paul to wait for Ananias. He tells Paul to, you know, wait in prison. There's a lot of waiting that that happens. Um, and, and waiting happens in a slower society. You know, we live in this fast society. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a little, it's a little weird in that sense. You know, I think the hard part is that, you know, we've been in, I don't know, was it sequester for eight weeks? Some of us, it's been a while. Um, and it's, you know, some good and some bad, but it's, it's not good out there. Um, it's not good in, in for kids. It's, uh, kids are being placed in dangerous places. You know, it, there's, it's just, uh, the whole process um, that we're in is um, is requiring, I think, God's people to to pray and to listen to the Spirit more than we we ever have before. And yeah, I, you know, I think pastors who care for people, who carry burdens, therapists, um, people who listen to the struggles of others, who care. Um, this is a pretty it's a heavy time. There's a lot to bear. And so I would, I would encourage you to um, send your um, pastor's notes, telling them how much you love them. You know, try to step into the things that you would think that they might be hoping you would do. And um, I think, you know, it's uh, the burden it's it's funny, like I, I listened to, as I was saying earlier, I mean, I listened to restaurant owners talk about how to open their restaurants and the, just the anxiety built up in that and the impact that has on people. And, um, you know, I listened to pastors talk about what this looks like in their plans and everybody's got charts and, 
you know, there are all these things that they're going to do and, you know, but the reality is we're dealing with a, a disease that spreads really fast. And, um, there's also, there's just this anxiety of, I don't want to be the, the church where, where that spreads. I don't want to cause more problems than necessary. And so I say all that because it is a burden to, to try to figure out what kind of decision to make. And, and, and the reality is that God is, I think God is offering us a moment of recovery as a people of God. He is inviting us to wait on him and not to try to figure it all out. Um, it's kind of fascinating to me. Uh, this last week I was preaching on Acts 11 and it's Peter's retelling of his experience of Cornelius. And as he's talking about that process, he says that he's, you know, basically sitting at the top of this house praying and he ends up in a trance and has a vision. And he's, you know, he sees all of these unclean animals that God tells him to kill and eat. But the reality is that I don't think it ever entered Peter's mind. How do we get the Gentiles into the church? How do we introduce the Messiah to the Gentiles. He wasn't, he, he wasn't, you know, up there charting and planning and strategizing. And, and I think there is a lot of that built into, um, our culture and that uh, the church has picked that up too. And I'm not saying planning is bad, but we just are constantly looking at what are the most effective ways to do something and how do we get the best results and the best you know and and how do we maximize everything and you know the biggest change in the church the biggest as I talk about on my sermons the biggest paradigm shift probably in human history next to the resurrection and you know and birth of Jesus like is this moment when the Gentiles and the Jews when the Gentiles get grafted into the church when they're invited in and the spirit of God is poured out on them. Um, and that changes the, the shape of the church forever. Um, but it didn't happen because of a plan. It happened because Peter's up on a roof praying. And I, I'm struck by uh, how much um, changes in our own mind and how more soft to the spirit of God we are when we begin to pray, when prayer is in this becomes a part of our reality um, as something we do um, reflexively, and and we find ourselves caught up in other worlds and hearing the spirit of God in very distinct ways. Um, and I think that best happens when we have the Bible open in front of us and we're reading and praying and listening. Um to the spirit of God and, and being open to, to really kind of, as I said in my sermon, that, that this grid that if we're open to the spirit and we're listening with the question of where do I need to repent? Where are the places God is inviting me to forgive and to be forgiven? And how is he asking me to obey? If that's kind of the grid that we have as we pray, um, you know, there's, we're bound to hear the spirit of God in some profound ways that will be transformative to us and others around us. Um, but I think too, it's a, in a moment, in a time when, when hope is, is maybe in short supply, 
that we we really have to hold on to the fact that we follow a resurrected Jesus, not some uh, a flesh and blood um, Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father who loves us, who goes before us, who has sent us on a mission, who's never going to abandon us in in the process. And, um, you know, it's okay to take a deep breath. We don't have to rush stuff. And, uh, well, anyway, I don't know if I have a lot more to say, but I thought I'd just talk into the mic for a while. So thanks for listening, guys. 